0: To another episode of Sales with Aslan, your weekly therapy session for those who sell for a living and those who help those who sell for a living, and I've got a guy that helps a lot of sales reps every day of his life, Charles Forsgaard from Honeywell is going to tell us a lot about his life and his new book. Stop kidding yourself. The way you're what the way you're managing your team is it's not helping.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's that sounds like a good book that we're going to get have a lot of good discussion about. But first. Charles, welcome to the show, and what is that cold, frosty, and refreshing beverage in front of you?
1: Well, being a fellow New Englander, it has to be Sam Adams, and it's <laughs> Sam Adams it. Summer Ale, because it, it's summer, and you know, I'm down in the south, and it gets it gets a little sticky down here, so you want that lighter kind of ale for the summer.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Oh, and I have had a, more than my fair share of those on the pod, but I've also um, selected a Sam but this Sam is the Beach Session IPA, the crisp and tropical ale that's got four point seven percent alcohol by volume and 30 IBUs. As you know, my listeners, I do track the IBUs, the international bitterness units. The lower the better for me. This one's a little on my high side, so let's see what that tastes like. I'm sure it's gonna be fruity. And it is. It's a little grapefruit, I think. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna Guys, I, I already actually cracked it, so apologies, you don't get the sound effect. But. <laughs> hmm. well, I'll tell you, I'm just going to use the word refreshing.
0: Okay, I love it, and I uh, think everybody can, can follow that. In fact, I do have somebody that told me that Sam Adams is a dad beer, and since we're both dads, I guess that's not an insult, but um, whatever.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I, I guess I, I've been around the golf course enough that I'd say, yeah, you can, you, you can tell, you can tell, call me Boomer or whatever you want. Uh, I'm proud of the gray hair.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we've earned the gray hair, haven't we? Exactly. With, some, with our 30 plus years in these industries that we've been in. Well, first of all, Charles, just back us up. Like, what do you do for Honeywell? Uh, tell us a little bit about, about your work environment and you know the, the the reps you work with and that sort of thing.
1: Sure. So I'm uh, lucky enough to lead the the global sales team for Honeywell's Advanced Sensing Technologies business. So we make sensors that will go on everything from the door of a washing machine to the door of a SpaceX Dragon capsule, to the drill probe on the Perseverance rover on Mars, to the... Control vanes and a uh, after uh, afterburner thruster on a on a jet aircraft. I mean, we're in all kinds of fun yeah. stuff. So it's fascinating work. Great place to do. I've got about 300 sellers, NAP engineers, and sales managers in the organization, and uh, it's just an absolute blast to be able to work with this group of people.
0: It sounds like you've got a you know rather large sales team. I'm sure lots of leaders that report up into you. What's that like? You know, leading leaders of salespeople.
1: You know, I, I think the trick is figuring out the balancing act between what you want to be common to everybody and what you want to be individual interpretation of style. You don't want to have a whole bunch of banana republics around the world with everybody right. kind of just doing their own thing, because otherwise you, you don't really have a sales force. You've just got a collection of people that are out there. Yeah. Um, and we've been on a bit of a, a, a rampage around an arena in sales that I call proactive selling. And it's, it's about, you know, balancing how much of your time are you reacting to what happens in the day, in that daily whirlwind, right? Versus yeah. how much are you in control of what you're doing? So that part of the equation is kind of non-negotiable. But the parts about how you do that, that's totally negotiable. What fits in the culture, what fits with your team, et cetera, like that. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: you know, and it's interesting. And we, I was planning on going to there later, but um, but let's just talk a little bit about the culture of coaching as a as a role that your sales leaders take on. Whether it's a senior leader developing younger leaders, or whether it's those frontline sales leaders that work with their sales reps on a daily basis, talk to me about how you inspire that that behavior in your coaches, that desire to help their reps get better. Is that something that you you know you you concentrate on, or is it something that's a byproduct of your
1: it's a central feature. It's, it's a whole chapter in in the book. And I think it comes down to, I think most people misunderstand what coaching is and particularly a lot of leaders. And uh, you know, I know a lot of what what your company does is try to get people to do this right. Um, Coaching is not standing in front of someone and, and telling them what to do. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right. Uh, you know, really good coaching helps you come to your own conclusions on how to do that. I I tend to do that through some Socratic questioning. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my the best advice I've ever been able to give anybody on how to do this is that when someone comes to you with a problem, your default answer should be, I don't know, what do you think we should do? <laughs> yep. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you what they think they should do. Yeah. They're just really looking for permission. They're not really looking for you to tell them what to do. But most leaders, unfortunately, especially like, you know, I run a very technical sales team. Almost everybody in my sales team is a degreed engineer. And the problem with degreed engineers is you're a trained problem solver. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think the trick is you, you come to the problem. I'm going to tell you a solution, whether you want to hear a solution or not. And that's probably the biggest difference between my first marriage and my second marriage <laughs> is, is understanding the difference between those two things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the, the trick with salespeople is, you know, they usually know sometimes you might have to coach it out of them because they haven't thought it all the way through. But they're integral to the, 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 the situation. They have the most data to do it. You just want to kind of coax it out of them. And you do that through asking them questions, not by telling them. Yeah, and to me, that's the essence of really good coaching. Now, it's easy to say; it's a lot harder to do and to to coach people on how to coach.
0: Yeah, we we always talk about the fact that that some of what we teach and some of what you have in your book, it sounds like there's a lot of I don't know common sense to it, mm-hmm. but the problem is they don't put it in common practice, right? I mean, it's 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 just got to build into a habit, and so uh, you use the term Socratic questioning. I'm going to dive in there and see what you mean by that, what, what does that specifically mean? Because I think it overlays quite nicely with something that we, that we teach that I'd like to kind of pull together in my own mind and for the listeners. Tell me what you mean by Socratic questioning.
1: And it, it goes back to Socrates and how he would run a class of students. And it was not really through lecturing them, it was through asking them questions and, and drawing it out of them, but doing that very skillfully. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, you know, if I just randomly ask you questions, um, I may or may not get somewhere, but if I really know the arena, I'm gonna, you know, I've been a salesperson, I know the situations, we can talk in a little bit of shorthand, and I can bring it out of you, but I'll tell you one of the best examples I saw of this was somebody who demonstrated you don't have to know a dang thing about the world, and it was a, It was a guy who was giving, it was at a Honeywell uh, learning event, and it's a guy who's a professional coach, and, and he came in and he said, I want you to watch this video of me coaching a guy on tennis. Mm-hmm. And he's at this tennis court and he's wearing tennis weight. So he looks like he knows what he's doing. What he tells you at the end is he doesn't know anything about tennis, right? <laughs> he's got this tennis player and, then, and he says, "What what's your problem? The guy says, oh, I'm hitting the ball too far this way. And he goes, well, what's your goal? Well, I'm trying to hit, you know, uh, more shots in the in the you know, whatever the zone is where you hit the shot. So it's not a penalty or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying to put more shots in there than out. And he goes, well, what's your target? Well, I'd really like to get eight out of 10. Okay. That's your target. Then we're going to go for eight out of 10. And then he just asks him some questions about what's, what do you think's your problem with hitting the ball? Why can't you do it? And then he just tells him, well, what if you visualized it this way? And the thing is he kept talking to him while he's tossing the guy a ball and having the guy hit the ball. And because the guy wasn't paying attention to what he was doing, he was just kind of getting this code. He hit 10 out of 10 in that zone in the video. And it's just really funny because this guy didn't know anything about tennis, but he's like, you didn't have to. The tennis player knew his answer. He knew what he was doing wrong. He was just thinking about it too much. He distracted him just a little bit and boom, he's just succeeding. And, And sometimes I think that's what you have to do with a salesperson. They get too close to it. They're very emotional about the deal. And so you try to bring them out of that a bit and get them talking. And then suddenly they know the answer to their problem.
0: Well, and, and so, I, yeah, my supposition was correct because you, you've, you've probably read some of our blogs and you've definitely been a listener of the podcast before. We, we talk about gap questions, get at the problem questions. There's nothing more than trying to get that sales rep to, in their own mind, do exactly what you're talking about. What, what do I think is the problem? And if I ask the questions in a way that you have to think about that and come up with those answers yourself versus me telling you what I witnessed, you are much more likely to take action on improving that, right? Oh, yeah, because totally it's not clear. my idea. It's yours. Exactly. People don't argue with their own data. Exactly. Clear and simple. Well, that I love that tennis story. That's that is, that is uh, that's incredible, actually, when you think about, yeah, just taking your eye off what's so close to you. And we, we talk about, you won't take offense to this, we talk about commission breath and sales reps. Mm-hmm. When, when there's a commission tied to everything I recommend to you, people seem to maybe shy away from that. You've got something mm-hmm. to gain. But when you turn the corner and say, "I'm putting what the what the client has as their top uh, goals, what's on their whiteboard," we like to talk about mm-hmm. something that's bothering them. Now I'm solving their problem. That's a different conversation altogether. Yeah. All right. So you talked a little bit about um, you know interactions with sales reps. Um, I, I want to go back to the leading of leaders and how you instill this this culture of coaching, this this um, this culture of developing people. You mentioned you have mostly degree engineers, which, you know, lots of engineers have great personalities and others, they're more introverted. How do you, how do you get them, you know, all not to be robots, but to, 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 to move in a, a direction that's um, that, that works with Honeywell's, you know, main mission and
1: goals. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of funny because I, I just had this conversation the other day with uh, 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 this phenomenal guy, Matt Thompson, who leads North America for me, actually leads all the Americas now for me. And I mentioned to him, we were talking about something with introvert extrovert. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm a professional extrovert. And he goes, what do you mean by that? He said, well, actually, I'm a very introverted person, but professionally, I'm an extrovert. And since I've been selling things since 1982, it's kind of natural to me now that there's a an on switch and an off switch that, that I have. And he goes, wow, I'm exactly the same way. And what was funny is neither of us would have guessed that about the other, even though we've worked together for a few years. Interesting. Yeah. And I've had a similar conversation with any number of people in the business. And I find that at least in technical sales, more of the salespeople I meet are natural introverts who've learned how to be a professional extrovert. Yeah. And so that part of it is an interesting part of the equation. But to go back to your original question around how do you do this, you know, with leaders and everything, I always tell everybody, just lead by example. Mm-hmm. I try to do the same thing myself when people come to me with a problem and I got to bite my tongue sometimes and I'm not always good at it as I'd like to say I am, but try to say, how do you want to solve that problem instead of just tell them what I think they should do. Yeah. And cause here's the problem is leaders, especially today, we have that much more stuff on our plate. Our whole day is jammed end to end. You know, you and I had a quick discussion as we came into this cause both of us were coming right out of another meeting. Exactly. As we came in to do this podcast. That's how every meeting is.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so when I get one of my people on the phone it's very easy to say look I don't have time to go through this so I'm just going to tell you what to do yeah and and that's what you can't do and you got to bite your tongue and there's still gonna be times you're gonna do it but you got to stop yourself from doing it well and I, I love that
0: you brought that up because when I think about what we what we tell our sales reps to do or what we what we instruct them is the right thing to do is to put the other person's needs ahead of yourself well as leaders guess what we got to do the same thing, right? To your point, I'm too busy for this is really a bad attitude to enter any conversation. No, <laughs> so it, You you got to make that mind shift in your own mind. I'm here to help develop this person. And therefore I got to take the time it's going to take.
1: No, it's funny. Cause you just reminded me of a story from when I, when I first started in, in sales at a company where you and I worked together, I worked for this, actually not directly for him. He was just one of the managers in the office. He wasn't my manager. Yeah. His name was Rich Searing. And he was like, the, the definition of a great coach. Mm. And I found myself, I would go to him two to three times as much as I would go to my boss when I had a dilemma. And he did something very interesting because back then we had these pricing books that we would you know use to figure out how much something was going to cost. It, yeah. it was a big paper and pen thing. You had these binders full of stuff. And you'd walk into his office and you'd say, hey, Rich, you got a second? And he would say, hang on one sec. And he would take whatever he was working on. And he'd take the pad of paper, he'd put it inside the binder, he'd close the binder, he'd pick it up, he'd put it to the side. And then he'd look at you and go, what can I help you with? <laughs> and at the time, it, I was kind of oblivious to what he was really doing. Now I really get it. And I didn't think of it till years later when I was a manager and reflected back on it and said that SOB, that was so brilliant because he was sending the signal to me that not only do A, I have my, I have time. To talk to you. But B, you have my complete and undivided attention. And and it's funny, you and I are talking on video right now. Yeah. And I notice so often people don't want to use video in internal meetings. And I go, you know why you don't want to use video? Because you want to multitask. Yeah. That's the only reason to be using to not use video. Right. And if you're going to multitask, then why are you in that conversation in the first place?
0: Oh, it's such a good point. Well, I was thinking back to when you and I worked together. Remember, our offices were all, and how many times did you yep. walk into my office and just take a seat? And we would just, and we could get we could get so much more done because we're face to face and we're actually paying attention to one another, and <laughs> solving the problem that we're trying to solve. It's it, it gets lost in the virtual world sometimes, but this the camera being on does make that possible if you if you use it properly. Um
1: mm. And especially in today's world, you know, the last 15 months, we've been doing all of our sales meetings and all of our sales coaching virtually. Mm. And I've got a global team. So even not in a pandemic, there was a lot being done virtually. And I think it's funny how, you know, we've had to kind of grow these muscles and develop them and say, yeah, I know it's hard to stay focused on the camera and stay focused on the person you're talking to. But that's what the job is.
0: It really is. I mean, it's, so, it's something that you know, I think a lot of younger leaders, and this is actually going to lead into my next question, um, they're going to model the behaviors they see above. And you and I both worked for amazing leaders, and mm-hmm. we've worked for some bad ones, right? And so yeah. what, one of the things that I've said on the pod before, which you know, I'd be curious to your perspective on this, we used to say, like, you, you, you know, count up the number of people you've worked for in your career. So start doing that in your head. And then how many of them would you work for again? Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's usually a pretty small percentage. Now, some people say, well, I'd work for, you know, four out of the 10 again, or, you know, however many, um, I remember at one point, I, I think I had worked for 25 leaders and I've only been in working for 30 something years. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's, that's complicated math. I've been, I've been, you know, people have been coming and going out of my, out of my life for a while. Um, I would only work for probably three of them again. So what does that say about the role models I've had and what I've had to do?
1: Right. What's your perspective on that? Just do that quick math. It's a really interesting perspective because i I've been selling stuff for about 39 years. So a lot longer track. And it's funny because I've compared notes with my wife on this and her stats are about like yours. There's only about three people that she would go back and work on. I've got an incredibly long list. Okay. I've been unbelievably... Lucky to work for incredibly good leaders that I have shamelessly stolen everything that I do from these really strong leaders that I work for. And you know, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I played golf this weekend with one of the best of all the guy you and I both worked with was was Rabbit, and mm-hmm. and here's a guy who I haven't worked for this guy in close to ten years. Yeah, but I'm still perfectly happy. In fact, it was one of the best. Saturdays I've had in ages is because I was out playing golf with Andy. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, for most people, that's a short list of people, not just that you would uh, work for them again. Yeah. But that you'd go out and play golf with them on a Saturday. Yeah. Well, and I'm not saying all of us have to want to be liked,
0: but I think the fact that Andy and others that you've worked for uh, inspired you to not only take the best of all of them and, and incorporate that into your leadership style, but the fact that you still would work for them again, I think that's a huge testament to them, And I think we as leaders should strive to be the type of le- leader that someone would not, not just want to leave, uh, you know, after a short stint with us, but would want to come back and work for us again. And, and I, what I'm trying to sort of evolve the conversation into is how do we do that? And I think it's through that culture of coaching, you know, you as a senior leader, you know, the top leader in the company, in the sales department, then helping those leaders below you, you know, drive that, that, that culture of coaching and that development mentality.
1: I I think that it's that second piece you talk about the culture of coaching to me is table stakes. You better have that. But that development mentality that you said at the end is also huge because have you set yourself to make people realize you're there to help them get better. Yeah. Um, Not for your sake, but for their sake. And I think that makes a big difference. And one of the things that I'm proudest of is that I've, I've got three people on my management team that worked with me before one of them worked for me at three different companies, you know, and, and it's, I know, think I know what you're talking about. Well, cool yeah. When you get that, it's the best compliment you're ever going to get at a boss. Not just they'd be willing to, but they, that they actually did. And I talk about those folks to the other people on the team all the time and say to, to the point of what you're talking about, you should be, you know, your aim should be that you've got people on your team that would want to come work for you again. If you left and went somewhere else, would they follow you?
0: Yeah. No, I think uh, it's great. It's great. And, I, and I, love, I love how much we have in common in terms of that. So that leads me to you know, one of a couple final topics I wanted to bring up, which is, is your book. You, you, you are a senior leader at a, at a huge company and somehow found time to write a book, which I cannot solve in my own personal life. Not that I have anything of value to say, but I would love to know what inspired you to write the book and tell us a little bit about the book.
1: So I, I'll, I'll tell you what inspired me to write about it is really the contrast between that guy I talked about uh, named Rich Searing. And uh, I went to another company after 26 years. And at that company, the management style was, um, if you needed a result, you beat people with a stick and said row harder. And it was, don't tell me the truth, tell me what I want to (laughs) hear. And I realized that I'd gone from an era in sales management where in the early days, it was all about how to enable me to be a better seller, how to teach me to be a better seller, how to coach me along to a world where it was all about, you know, intimidation and fear and, and the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> so true. And I, I left that experience and I said, you know, something's changed in sales management. And and I think everybody's deluding themselves to think that how they're running their people is actually good. Because I'll tell you, that company, everybody would pat themselves on the back and say, we're doing a great job. We just beat the the bejesus out of that salesperson. He's going to go perform now. You'd be like, no, he's not. He hates you. He'll do what you ask him to, because right now he's got a mortgage and he doesn't want to get fired. But the first time his phone rings from a headhunter, he's gone. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 the difference with it. So I I, I wrote the book and your point, you don't do that lightly, right? Because yeah. it's you're giving up a lot of hours to do it. Now, and in, in retrospect, it's kind of like having a baby. You tend to gloss over the worst parts of it, you know, yeah. later on, yeah. like I would know, but I'm told. <laughs> but the 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 point of it is if you really actually are passionate about the topic, it's not as much work as you would think to sit down and kind of have it all come out. The work is making it come out coherently and, and, and then getting it all through to where it's something that's published. But um, saying what I wanted to say was huge. And and it's funny because it's become a bit, it's, it's my manual. It's my operating manual at Honeywell. And honestly, when I have a new sales leader come in, the first thing we do is hand him the book yeah. and say, look, if you want to know how I think, if you want to know how we want to run the sales team, here it's all right in here. This is how we, how we want to do it. And I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of sales leaders at other companies come to me and say, hey, you know what? I read your book and it actually helped me figure out a bunch of the stuff that I was trying to figure out, particularly as a new sales leader who's just taken over a team and you're trying to figure out how do I do this? Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a lot of what this is. That is,
0: that is good. Well, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about the book. And, and obviously, um, you guys can pick that book up. I'm sure it's on Amazon, right? It's on Maybe Amazon it's on everywhere Amazon. books are sold? Yep. Yep. Um, but I want to close our discussion with a little game. Um, so I'm going to give you a, a second to think about this. I want you to think about your most rewarding moment as a sales leader. And then I want to f- uh, also ask you, um, the biggest regret you have as a sales leader because I think as I'm as I'm setting this up uh, and this is kind of the first time I'm doing like a front you know tales from the front line of a sales leader we do a, a lot around the podcast of tales from the front line of, of sellers but I think there's so many Sales leaders listening to this, I want to give them something to think about. What's your biggest rewarding moment, your biggest regret? And I want to start to ask uh, the next leaders that I have on the pod what that might be. And I'm, I'm going to give that some thought for in my own in my own world. But I know I didn't give you a lot of time to think about that, so I am tap dancing until I see something on your face that says,
1: I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I've got get two things. Okay. And it's kind of funny because the flip sides of these things are um, – Firing someone and not firing someone, mm, mm-hmm. and so the most rewarding thing was, I, 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 it was another just great experience leading a team. I was leading a, 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 a drives sales team at a uh, another company, and and we had a guy on the team who just was not getting it done, and he was off in La La Land. Yeah, and the easy thing to do in that circumstance is to say you're gone. But you know, the, the, what you come to realize over time is that there's, I have never met anybody who wanted to do a bad job. Yeah, And so we sat down and we had that tough conversation, that adult conversation around the dreaded performance improvement plan. But for the first time, I explained it to the guy in a different way. And I said, look, you're, you're drowning right now. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're in the ocean, you're drowning. And we're in a boat nearby and we've just thrown a rope in the water. Now, I can't jump in the water with you. You've got to grab that rope and pull yourself back in the boat, but we're going to do everything to help you pull yourself back in the boat short of jumping in the water with you. And for some reason, that made the light bulb go on over this head, and you know, although it was a 90-day pit, in 30 days, this guy had completely turned himself around to where he was was then being a, a, a top performer, and it really informed how I approached performance problems from that day forward, which is, you know, there's certain people you're going to end up letting them go. Yeah. That's just inevitable. But there's a group of people that, you know what, if you just approach it that way, they just kind of need the bucket of ice water over their head to tell them what's really going on and give them the direction of what to do and give them the coaching on what to do. And they'll, they'll turn themselves around. And in this particular individual, it was one of the most satisfying moments when his his boss came to me a month later and said, "I think we can take him off the pip." And we, I looked at everything. I said, "You know what? You're absolutely right." And wow. We
0: that, I mean, that's that's a great story. We talk a lot about um, I call it coaching as a team sport. You know, mm-hmm. sales is a team sport. We know that, right? You you call in specialists. You call in tech, You know, technical people, technical sales. But the relationship that a coach, you know, the manager and the rep have, if viewed as a you know, a team sport. In other words, we both have the same goal that you perform as a sales rep. And if we do our jobs correct, we're going to both benefit from you doing well, right? I have no, I gain nothing by you not performing. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're both on the same team and we both have the same goal and my motive is pure, then we should be able to work together. I think some people think that the person sitting on the other side of the desk or the other side of the monitor that we're looking at is not there to help us sometimes as a sales rep. And, and and there are companies that you pointed out, there's boiler rooms out there. There are, there are Glen Gary, Glen Ross, mm-hmm. sales organizations. And by the way, if you're a good sales rep, don't work for them, like choose yeah. a better career, like go somewhere where someone does care about you succeeding. So I love that story. What a great, what a great like rescue, <laughs>
1: rescue mission, <laughs> right? It was the right thing to do. And then on the flip side of that, though, the biggest disappointment is, is probably the first person I ever let up. And it's because I sincerely believe that if I'd shown that same maturity or wisdom or whatever you want to call it, she probably didn't need to be fired. Yeah, We probably could have found the right thing for her. And then, so it's one of those questions you always ask. Now, later in my career about anybody, if it, look, if I have having to leave someone, go it was the right thing. I really feel sincerely. And and nine times out of 10, the issue wasn't that they were terrible people doing terrible jobs. At, At the end of the day, they're just not a salesperson. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, you get into that nature versus nurture debate. Yeah. And the reality that I tell people is, look, I, I come strongly down on the side of nature. You are wired a certain way to be a salesperson. And if you are wired that way, not only do you get the attributes that make a good salesperson, but the bottom line is you love it enough that you put up with being a salesperson. I mean, think about it. The best salespeople in the world get about a third of their deals. That means two thirds of the time you're getting told no, two thirds of the time you're going to fail. Yeah. It's just like being an MLB baseball player. The best players in the world are going to get a hit one yeah. time out of three. That means two thirds of the time they're not getting on base. Yeah. And yet- You get on base one third of the time, you're going to Hall of Fame. Yeah. And if you you look at that in sales, you've got to have the personality that doesn't care that you're failing two thirds of the time because you focus on a third of the time and you're winning. And if you don't love it for that sake, if on the days that you wake up and it's a day you're going to see a customer in person, you don't kind of jump out of bed with a little bit of extra energy because today I get to go see a customer, (laughs) then you are on the wrong business
0: it's great it's great that is fantastic by the way go back and listen to uh two or three podcasts ago we had art shamsky from the 69 miracle mets on the show and we talked about the similarities of baseball and really and selling so i'll, to, I'll yeah. go
1: back and look at that right like, now. go
0: listen to it. he's so good oh my god it was such a fun conversation so uh well charles this has been awesome i want to give uh give us the name of the book and where. um where we can uh, find you on LinkedIn. If people want to uh, you know, throw, throw a question towards you, uh, give us the book in, the, in your LinkedIn.
1: So the book is called Stop Kidding Yourself. If you just type Stop Kidding Yourself in on Amazon or, or just actually Forsgard, F-O-R-S-G-A-R-D on Amazon, you'll, it'll come up Great. and it's available with Kindle or, or in print. Nice. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, I love talking to other sales leaders about what's going on. And if you just search uh, Charles Forsgard on LinkedIn, I'm the only one there.
0: The only Charles forsgard that is true. And I've known him a, a, probably a decade or so. And we have had some great times together. By the way, I don't think you're an introvert, at least not at the bar after work. I mean, maybe that <laughs> still work. I don't know. But <laughs> you and I've had some fun. <laughs> what a great time. I, I appreciate you coming on. And Best of luck at at, at Honeywell and continue to develop uh, that great sales team you have going. Guys, get out there and listen to the podcast, share it, download it, get it to your friends. We do this for you and we want to make sure as many people hear it as possibly can. And we'll see you next week on another episode of sales with Aslan.